Well, hello and welcome to Faith Life 365. This is podcast number 10, and my name is Tim Hardison, and we are talking about hindrances to faith. Now, if you missed past podcasts, you can go back, listen, and get caught up with us. Now, in podcast nine, we talked about an unforgiving heart being a hindrance to our faith. Now, in this podcast, we're going to talk about how a lack of understanding of the new covenant hinders our faith. This is going to be about a six-part series, and when we start out, uh, we're actually going to not just jump into the new covenant, but we're going to go back and look at uh, a blood covenants. We're going to look at the old covenant and, uh, and get an understanding of those covenants and then how uh, the new covenant uh, applies to us in our life. So then uh, let's pray and do a quick recap, and we'll get started. So, Father God, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you and praise you for the many blessings that you give us each day, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our eyes now that we may see in our ears, that we may hear and understand your word. Father, renew our minds. Give us knowledge. Give us wisdom and understanding. Grow our faith now as we hear and study your word on the new covenant that we have been given through Jesus, the anointed one. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, so many of you listening are familiar with the new covenant. Some may be wondering, what is a new covenant? And what, you know, what was the old covenant or even what's a covenant? Well, let's get started by looking at the definition of the English word covenant. Merriam-Webster defines covenant as a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement a written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties. Now, most of us don't often hear the term covenant used in our daily life. You know, we're more familiar with the terms uh, contract or agreement. You may be familiar with the term covenant if you live in a housing development or a neighborhood that's adopted uh, local covenants. Now, these local covenants are typically put in place by homeowners associations, and they usually spell out what you can and can't do in particular housing development, you know, such as uh, what type fencing can you have? How close can your house be built to the road? Or stating that, you know, your lawn must be kept mowed, things of this nature. Uh, but what is the meaning of a covenant as referred to in the Bible? What is the significance of covenants made by God, and what do they mean to us today? These are questions we want to answer and fully understand. Now, the Bible's broken down into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the word testament also means covenant. So we could refer to the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word bereth is translated into the English word covenant. The bereth is said to come from the root word bara, which means to cut, uh, suggesting a cut or an incision where blood flows. You may have heard the term cut a covenant. This is referring to a blood covenant. Now, we seldom ever hear of a blood covenant being you know, made in the United States anymore. Uh, however, blood covenants are still practiced in the world today, mostly in more primitive areas between tribal peoples. Now, in our Western culture, most people do not grasp the seriousness or the gravity of a blood covenant. There's evidence of blood covenants having been made all around the world. So, you know, how far back do blood covenants go? Well, many scholars believe the first blood covenant was made by God in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 21, King James Version says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. They had full dominion over all things in the earth. 
they could eat all the vegetables and fruit in the garden with one exception. They were forbidden to eat from one tree in the garden. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, English Standard Version. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, King James Version says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. This is the New Living Translation. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now let me pause for a moment here. Dr. Greg Stevens, he's a professor of Hebrew language and Old Testament uh, studies uh, with the Kenneth Copeland Bible College. He said that in Hebrew, the scripture reads like this. The Lord God called to the man and said, Why are you where you are, not where are you? Which I believe is a better translation, as we know that God knew where they were and why they were there before he even asked the question. So now I'm going to continue reading here in verse 10. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. This is Adam. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. 
He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So now, the instant Adam and Eve broke the covenant with God by sinning and eating the forbidden fruit, they died in the Spirit. Adam handed over his authority in this earth to Satan, and Adam and Eve lost their spiritual relationship with God. They realized their nakedness and tried to make clothing from fig leaves, and then tried to hide themselves from God. Well, God proclaimed curses upon Satan, man and the earth. He expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because of their sin and their breaking of the covenant. God killed an animal or animals in order to make the coats of skins for Adam and Eve. And this is the first record of blood being shed in the Bible. Now, it is known that blood covenants have been made all over the world and that they are recorded in the Bible. God made a blood covenant with Abraham, which we will talk about later on. So it's fitting to say that God is the author of the blood covenant. Let's take a closer look at the blood covenant. Why make a blood covenant? What's the importance of it? Blood covenants are made for three primary reasons. Number one, protection. Uh, a weaker person, group, or tribe will enter into a blood covenant with a stronger person, group, or tribe for protection. You know, if you attack one, you attack all. This would be very similar to treaties that are made today between nations. Uh, NATO is, you know, our well-known treaty. Uh, it's made between 30 nations for military protection. You know, you attack one country, you attack them all. Uh, secondly, uh, blood covenants were made for business purposes. Businessmen would enter into a blood covenant to ensure that neither takes advantage of the other or they would work together for mutual benefit. Even thieves uh, or groups of thieves like modern-day gangs would enter into blood covenants with each other. Thirdly, blood covenants were made for love or deep friendship. One biblical example is David and Jonathan. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, English Standard Version. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants." Now that we know why blood covenants are made, let's talk about the making of a blood covenant. How are they made? Well, blood covenants are made in different ways based on the persons or cultures performing the blood covenants. Uh, some cut the palms of hands and then shake hands, mixing their blood to seal the covenant. Uh, it's said that this was the origin of the handshake. However, I haven't been able to find evidence to confirm that. Some make incisions on their wrist and rub their wrists together, mixing the blood. Others make an incision on the wrist, and they drip blood from each person's wrist into a cup of wine, and they stir it up, mixing it together, and then each person drinks half of the cup. 
this type of ritual is believed to be the uh, origin of cannibalism. Now, sometimes they will rub ash or gunpowder or other substances into their cuts so that there will always be a scar or a dark mark to show that they are part of a blood covenant as a reminder. Now, these blood covenants cover not only the ones making the covenant, but their entire family and people uh, for many generations or their tribal, you know, the people. It, it binds everyone. Now, some substitute the blood of an animal. God used animals in his covenant with Abraham. However, most true blood covenants are far more involved than just the mixing of blood and a handshake. They're typically ceremonies. Uh, in most cases, priests or other religious figures are involved. Now, the two people entering into the blood covenant will often do some or all of the things that I'm getting ready to talk about here, not necessarily in this order and not always in the exact same way. First, they may exchange their clothing, usually an outer garment like a robe or a coat. Offering the robe or coat is symbolic of offering themselves, even their life if need be, to the other. Sometimes it's other gifts that have a significant meaning to each of the ones that's making the covenant. Uh, second, they may change, exchange weapons or their girdle, which is the belt that holds their knives or swords or weapons. This signifies that they are there to fight each other's battles to the death. Thirdly, they may exchange names or parts of their names, sort of like a wife takes her husband's last name when they are married. God changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. Then God called himself the God of Abraham, and, and later, as he expanded the covenant, he called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So both people making the covenant stand before witnesses and proclaim the terms of the covenant. Uh, they seal the covenant by shedding of blood. Usually, one of the methods we talked about earlier, uh, in some cases, they will split animals in half and walk between the two halves. Some walk in figure eights between the halves. This is saying, may God do this to me and more if I break this covenant. God passed between the halves of the animals when he made the blood covenant with Abraham. Both people making the covenant will pronounce a blessing and a curse upon the other. For they may have a priest uh, pronounce the blessing or cursing, or they may do it themselves, or they may have a stand-in uh, that will do this. But blessings are first pronounced, and then after the blessings, the curses are pronounced. Uh, breaking of the covenant means death to the one who breaks it, sometimes to their entire family. They share a covenant meal consisting of bread and wine. They break the bread and offer half to each other, representing their body, and then each drinks half of a cup of wine representing their blood. A memorial is often made as a sign to remind them and all of their future generations of their covenant. Their blood or blood from the sacrificed animal or animals is often sprinkled on the memorial. Uh, the memorial or monuments are made by planting trees, piling rocks, carving into large stones, or even exchanging flocks of herds or livestock. Now, Dr. E.W. Kenyon wrote a book titled The Blood Covenant. Now, I highly suggest you get a copy and read this book. Uh, it's, it's very, very uh, enlightening uh, in explaining this. Now, early in the book, Dr. Kenyon writes about Dr. Livingston and Sir Henry Stanley and their missionary trips into Africa. In this uh, particular section, Sir Stanley was attempting to find Dr. Livingston, who was presumed dead. He hadn't been heard from for quite a while. 
Sir Stanley was not in good health himself and had come up against a very strong tribe. Now, his interpreter suggested that he cut a blood covenant with the chief of the powerful tribe. Well, Sir Stanley was, he was reluctant about this, you know, but eventually he ended up cutting a blood covenant with the chief of the powerful tribe. Now, as a part of the blood covenant, each party had to present the other with a gift. Well, the chief wanted Sir Stanley's goat as a gift. The goat was important to Sir Stanley as its milk was his main means of nutrition, and he was not in good health. But Sir Stanley reluctantly agreed to give up his goat. The chief then gave Sir Stanley a seven-foot copper-wound spear, uh, not very impressive looking, and which Sir Stanley was not that impressed with. He thought he had had the best made of him. Well, Sir Stanley and the chief each had a stand-in who had an incision made on their wrist, and blood from the cuts of each man was dripped into a cup of wine and mixed together. The two men then drank of the cup and rubbed their wrists together to mix their blood. Then each of the men had curses pronounced over them should they break the covenant. This covenant then bound Sir Stanley and all of those with him and the chief and all of his tribe. Later, Sir Stanley found that wherever he went in Africa with the chief's spear, everyone bowed to him. He quickly learned that he had become equal with the powerful chief and that everything that belonged to the chief belonged to him and vice versa. Sir Stanley then realized the true meaning and the power of a blood covenant. Now, it's said that in Africa, at least, these tribal blood covenants are never broken. Uh, the penalty for breaking a blood covenant is death. Mothers and fathers will, will hand over their children to be put to death if they break the blood covenant with another tribe. These covenants mean everything to them. Hopefully, I've established an understanding of a blood covenant and the importance of this covenant to the people who make them and are covered by them. And for today, we are out of time. And please join us for the next podcast as we continue to talk about the lack of knowledge of the new covenant being a hindrance to our faith. In this podcast, we explain the blood covenant. Next time, we're going to talk about the old covenant. So I want to thank you for listening today, and may God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year.